No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to a continuing edition of the Lifehawk podcast brought to you from Camp Sunnah. We actually have been uh, focusing and discussing issues in relation to the community and in terms of uh, how we can take a better role in leadership. So how we can develop ourselves to become more effective leaders for our community and contribute better for our community and help elevate our community, inshallah ta'ala. So one of the things we just recently discussed was a lot of these different groups that have come out and have become very sectarian in terms of their approach. So if you're not part of their particular manhaj or tribe or a specific way of thinking and approaching things, then you are the enemy. This is within our own jama'ah. This is supposed to be within our own community. And so we've uh, unfortunately taken it upon ourselves to put some very hard lines in the sand to divide ourselves. And uh, essentially, we've actually been canceling each other out before even cancel culture. So, Sheikh, one thing that I would uh, ask you uh, is um, how do we approach this? Like, do we... Uh, approach people from a way where we should just try to disprove them on an intellectual, rational level. So get into these debates. Is that the way to bring harmony in our community? Is should, We should just get into these sectarian debates with each other and uh, try to disprove, okay, this is why your view is wrong. This is why your approach is wrong from an intellectual perspective. Or do you think we should open the door more from like... a uh, a more, I would say, maybe emotional way of trying to reach out through some of the akhlaq that we're taught in our deen and then use that as a means um, to at least start the dialogue. Is that a first step, better approach? Or should we say, uh, no, you are incorrect and this is the reason why you're incorrect and you're causing harm to the community. So how are we going to do this? Because I think it's best to start with ourselves first, the people who are more willing to put the olive branch out, right? Because I think the to, to try to come up with advice for the people who are on the, I guess you could say, um, uh, those who are imposing that cancel culture on people, like, you know, calling out people, to try to put that advice on them first is a little bit counterproductive because they're not listening in the first place. Mm -hmm. So with those of us who want to actually seek, have a desire to have an initiative to bring people together, what should our approach be? Definitely, I think, that we do have a problem nowadays regarding these same issues, and it's going in every province across the world, even, subhanAllah. The best way, definitely, to overcome and get out of this whole issue, I think, is first and foremost to educate ourselves, to establish the deen within ourselves in a way that's practical, not simply theory. When we look at things in a theoretical perspective only, we tend to look at things as my way or the highway. It's got to be this way. But then we tend to overlook the importance of putting the ilm into practice. Mm -hmm. And 
part of putting the ilm into practice is when you come across the akhlaq and the adab, the ethics a Muslim should uphold and live by, um, they really condition us as Muslims to behave properly, to receive each other in a good way, even with those that we differ. I mean, in terms of the khilaf that we may have with others who overall share you know, a general manhaj, but then the particulars of that manhaj might be different, uh, various aspects of it. We can come to discuss and debate things in a proper way. What happens all too often is that with the glamour of social media and wanting to be recognized, you'll have some who come out and simply point fingers and, uh, as you said, the cancel culture gets the best of them. And they, you know, subhanAllah, go on that train for a while to gain popularity, to gain followers. And then that becomes more the goal in people's eyes that I want to become more famous, more popular. And then the goal of actually coming together and, you know, bridging those gaps to see what the difference is, where we can actually, you know, have some, you know, common ground, that is forgotten. Mm -hmm. It's more now in terms of how I can become more popular. So overall, I think this can be put to rest to, to a great extent if we educate ourselves. And then number two, we make a point of, you know, um, treating others in the way that Prophet Sallallahu dealt with them. So if we're able to come to that common ground, we can then proceed in a much better, healthy way, bi ta'ala, in dealing with these khilafat that may come about from different groups that are around us. And we're talking about groups that share the Sunni mentality, not people that claim to be Muslims that are not Muslims. Mm. Yeah, so the, obviously there's probably a balance between uh, going full cancel mode, takfir, Yes. And saying everything is all good. So, uh, like the uh, perhaps maybe the the Jamia approach, where uh, everyone is like everyone's iman is the same, right? Yes, yes definitely, Subhanallah. So, Sheikh, there's um, a few things that I think um, we should have in mind when it comes to um, uh, this whole issue. And it's more a personal uh, observation that I have, uh, I have been through myself. And that is the more that you gain knowledge, the more that you become tolerant, and the more that you're able to really connect with people, subhanAllah. The less knowledge you have, the more rigid you become. And you might find people who, subhanAllah, who barely know the basics of their faith, already pointing fingers and causing that chaos. Wallah al mustan We ask Allah to protect us from this fitna, I mean. Mm. So, like you say, you have a brother, uh, who's, uh, you know, pretty um, into a particular group and everyone else is uh, either an enemy or a collaborator of an enemy or a rival group. Mm -hmm. So what would you say is the best way to maybe reach their hearts, connect to them? Because I th I, I, I mean, you see this a lot, I, I believe, on um, uh, social media where it's all about refutation. But it's really hard to like connect with a person like in terms of like a brotherly uh, relationship. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To 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 say, hey, okay, let's forget about this. Let me go buy you uh, a donair or something. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's you can't do that online, but maybe no. you can uh, get to a person's uh, heart through their stomach. <laughs> well, you know in I mean? person possibly, Chef. But then, yeah. Subhanallah, I think. Um, when we come across people like this that, you know, maybe we see them in person. Now with the pandemic, you're not going to see yes. many. But maybe after the pandemic, inshallah, yeah. uh, when you do connect at the masjid, you might find people that don't agree with you, that differ with you in terms of, you know, what they, what they hold in terms of their manhaj and how they look at you. 
one way to kind of find that common ground is to go back to the things that we all you know, really understand full well, and that is the akhlaq and the adab. I find it all too often with these groups that you know, uh, the akhlaq and the adab are lacking. Mm. So if we can go to a place where we all can agree that these, there are certain things that we should uh, understand, that we should be well grounded in, I think in that case, we would have that common ground later on to speak on different issues, ta'ala. Mm. It's like attending a khutbah jum'ah. You know, these people who subscribe to different manhaj, they're not gonna say, oh, forget this khutbah or this khatib, they're there anyways. So if the khatib is able to connect with the people on that ground where you're talking about akhlaq and adab, and you add into it, you know, the proper aspects of the aqidah, the faith, this will definitely bring someone because more often than not, you have someone fearing the unknown. I was told that they're off the manhaj. I don't want to deal with them because I'm afraid they'll misguide me. But when they begin to see that, you know, subhanAllah, there's no difference in terms of the aqidah, what you profess and what you believe in, that would then draw them towards you to ask more questions, to kind of, you know, to an extent come to a common ground where you can actually discuss issues that they may think that you are, you know, uh, off the manhaj on. Mm-hmm. If I can use that term. So they might think that you have been become, that you are misguided in certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a notion in their mind. They could have been brainwashed. Someone could have fed this to them. But then subhanAllah, if they sit with you and speak to you and connect with you, then they would realize, okay, maybe it's not all true. There's something else to yeah. the, uh, to this than what, you know, than what I, I've been told, subhanAllah. So I think that connection is important. It's just using hikmah in how to connect. Yes. And as you mentioned, maybe, you know, uh, sitting with someone, taking them for a donor, yeah. that might work. Yeah. But for the time being, we might have to connect with each other and online, but using hikmah. And that, yeah. of course, differs from person to person. Yes. I find that very effective to reach people yeah. is through their belly. That's the most, I think, uh, one of the most effective ways. I think mo- a lot of our uh, events in our communities are uh, targeted through, if you have food at the event, you're able oh, to get so a good forced. turnout yes, for yes. anybody, actually. So I think that could be a soft diplomatic, you know, they yes. call it soft yeah. diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then it causes a person also, I guess, to become too soft if they engage in it too often. Allah <laughs> So, uh, now, one thing that I also find that um, sets us up for failure is people really like to hang on to labels. So they like to label people. Sometimes they like to label themselves. And oftentimes it's like before you even meet somebody, uh, you want to know what their label is. Yeah. Or somebody will tell you, hey, this is this person's label. And then you don't, you don't even listen to the person. You don't have anything to do with them. Yeah. And maybe you might even slander the person based on secondhand labeling information. Yeah. Yeah. That's like right. that's, this is how much we love to label. It's like you'll get that yeah. secondhand labeling. You've never heard yeah. that person, you know, from that person directly. And you just know their label that's associated with them. Yeah. And you don't give them any benefit of the doubt. And so you start making maybe cursing them, right? Yes. And, uh, you speak out against them without even have ever connected or having a conversation or anything like that. So how destructive is labeling and um, is there any merit for labeling uh, in and of itself? Well, look, first and foremost, we have, I think, the guiding principle in the Quran, mm-hmm. and you do not name call each other. So basically mm-hmm. to um, give someone a label and then to judge him based on that. What happens more often than not is that you'll have a person, an individual, a group, looking at someone, and they're trying to figure this person out. Where does he fall? 
which group or category is he in or is, is he from. If you don't profess anything publicly, they will begin to examine and hunt and spy mm. for information that they can use to basically label you. Mm. And this falls into another tahrim or a haram area. Do not spy on someone. Mm. But the sad thing is, for you know, with some, they want to label you so badly that they would go and take that extra step of spying to see what what you've said. And now it's quite easy. You go online, Facebook, Twitter, for anyone that's active on those platforms to see who you've liked, who you've followed. Then they kind of form an assessment. Oh, maybe he is this because he's following so and so and so and so. So therefore, we're going to label him with this label. And you might not even be aware of it, subhanAllah. But now this label, it uh, goes viral online. Or oh, so and so this, so-and-so that, mm. for example, so-and-so the Ikhwani, so-and-so the Salafi, so-and-so. So these labels mm. are then coined. You never called yourself anything. Mm. But then this label was attached to you mm. on account of someone believing that you are this, mm. when you could have be, when you, when you are 100% innocent of this uh, label. Mm. So now, now just imagine the damage here. Someone labeled you on some forum that is being used by a group of people. And then, they begin to look at you. Let's say you are an imam of a masjid and how damaging this can be uh, when someone comes to a new community mm-hmm. and they say, oh, the imam that, of that masjid, what is his background? What's his label? Oh, actually, we've, we've done the homework. He's this. Mm-hmm. And then they begin to curse you and avoid you. And this causes a rift in the community, subhanAllah, all on account of a person or a people's effort to discredit you because they think you're not conforming to what, what they are upon. Yeah. So it's either it's a mentality of either Have you're you with me or against me. Have you ever been interrogated like somebody asked oh, you? Oh yeah, of course. Oh, are you Salafi? Are you Ikhwani? Are you Sufi? Like, has anybody ever definitely like, said, okay, I want to know what you are? Like, you know, in the within the first few minutes of meeting you. That, that's not in the first few minutes before they even meet you. They want to know is so and so. Yeah, before <laughs> is he uh, is this? He is he of that? The <laughs> yes, Subhanallah. But yeah. I was stunned because yeah. there have been incidents when I was in Saudi, likewise yeah. here in Canada, where Subhanallah, you have that same approach mm. where they begin to ask, "What is your label?" Mm. Uh, well, of course, not saying what is your label. They see who is your Sheikh. Who do you follow? Mm. Um, what do you think about this? Yes. When you keep silent and don't respond, that yeah. frustrates them because they want yes. to know. I tell them, Yaqi, look, we take the haq from wherever it comes. Yeah. Said, no, that doesn't work. Yeah. Tell me, which sheikh do you like? I like all the sheikhs. That doesn't work either. No, no, no. So then you got to get me. Or you can confuse them. You know, you know I'll say to them, I'm, I'm Zabardast Muslim. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm the best Muslim. Oh, what, which one is <laughs> Which one oh, is that? That's like, that. <laughs> let it sink in. That's sink in the Allah best, Allah. you know. <laughs> you know what I mean. Allah, if you, yes. Sometimes when you come up with labels, it it, it actually shows sometimes the uh, ridiculousness of course, yeah. of trying to label. Of course, like you know, in terms of a general uh, sense, you know, the scholars of the past, yeah. Ahl Sunnah. Okay, we understand yes. that. Yes, of course we understand that. But then to go, go into this. Um, you know, just this minutia of like trying to pick certain issues that you feel are so great that you need to divide people and interrogate people uh, upon, Mm. you know, we're, we're causing, I think, a lot of psychological, emotional harm in our community by doing that. Yes, I agree with you completely. And there's, there is a distinction that we have to make between labels that we find in the Quran and Sunnah. Yes. You know, Allah says in the Quran, Allah has called you by this name, Muslim. And a label that's coined today 
And of, these labels differ and change over time, but in the, in the present day, mm -hmm. there are certain labels that have been coined by certain groups, and then they are plastered upon people they believe to be off the manhaj. Mm -hmm. So you're not with us, you're against us, and you are from this group or that group. Although, like I said, they never have spoken to you. You don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. But it's an assessment based on the info they were able to dig up on you. Mm -hmm. And then it's spread out there. So when it goes out there, of course, people would look into it, they'll see it. And that may lead them to uh, boycotting a masjid, to boycotting a jama'ah, mm. to be careful uh, and forewarned that, oh, don't deal with this person because he may, he may deviate you. So, mm. you know, like I said before, this has happened to me, where people want to see what you're upon before even speaking to you, or if they're unable to find any information, when they first meet you, Salaamu Alaikum Shaykh, what madhab are you upon? Mm. And who do you follow? And I recall a conversation that I had mm. when, you know, when I was in BC. Uh, I, I was surprised because within the first few seconds of that phone call, mm. I was asked, what is your madhab? Mm. I was like, SubhanAllah, I'm Hanbali. Mm. Oh, okay, I thought you're some, okay. Because yeah. the idea might have been that I thought you're Wahhabi. Oh, okay. I'm not a Wahhabi, I'm Hanbali. I follow yeah. the Hanbali madhab, both in my aqeedah yeah. and in my fiqh. So when I make that clear, and the brothers was more comfortable, opened up, and we spoke for a bit. But, you know, that, that assumption, that assessment is always in the back of the mind. You don't know about them. But then later on, people come to you, and you're surprised. And you realize someone out there has put something there regarding you or anyone else. That he is from this group, be a bit careful. He's from that group. Or they'll say, which is worse, where you fall in between labels. Yeah. You know, we're not sure what he actually is, but I feel that he's from here. Yes. Now, that's the worst thing, subhanAllah. Yeah, yeah. You try to identify certain markers you yeah. have in your mind, yeah. this identifies yeah. you as so-and-so. Yeah, so. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, maybe we'll turn it to the brothers to see if there's any questions in regards to this topic before we move forward. Yes. The handsome-looking brother in the front row. Go ahead. Assalamu very important. My only question is, as a young person or as a really just out of high school, trying to get involved in the da'wah, starting from scratch, and then once you go out there, you see all this baggage, labeling, division, all this stuff. Where where is the middle path to go through that in a way that where? At the same time, to be honest, we have other extreme side of things where like, they lose the aqidah, they mix up, they water down Islam. And on this other side, there is this really strange like uh, cult, I could say in a way. So how, how do you stay on the middle path and keep growing? Look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made us a moderate nation. We are a moderate nation. So in essence, that moderation is in terms of everything that we do. In terms of your approach to other people, the way that you deal with them, it should be there, it should be present. So, you know, we'll find people on both sides of the spectrum. Those who are very rigid, those who are very open, that don't really care much about the faith. So how can we then find the path forward? I would say, don't look at any of these groups. You stick on what you know of the Quran and Sunnah, learn and strive in that path. Yani we are in a time today where fitna has become commonplace. Fitna in aqeedah, 
fitna in the deen in general, people losing faith, people drifting from the path of Allah, becoming misguided, that is there. So in order for us to be firm, steadfast, we stick to the basics, the 101s of faith in Islam that we have been taught and know of from the Qur'an, the sunnah of Rasulullah In spite of all that you might see around you, you stay the course, do what you've got to do to learn properly. And if in the case that you have a question about something, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands, You ask people of knowledge, not just any, you know, uh, okay, I don't want to use that term, but I'm going to say, not any um, keyboard warrior off internet to come and explain to you something, because these are the cut and paste scholars of this day and age, subhanAllah. Cut and paste, and there you go, send, to appear like a scholar. And then you add to your name, Abu something, uh, from, from this country, and the next thing, it looks good, Nice image, nice picture, boom, cut and paste from all different mashayikh and ulama and you claim as if this is your own. That's a problem right there, you shouldn't be doing that. So we're, we're, we're looking at the ulama and mashayikh who are known that you can look to their knowledge, to their ilm, to ask of them guidance in specific matters that you are unaware of, alhamdulillah. But other than that, part of the way that we are able to keep ourselves firm on the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is by practicing our faith. Like I said before, a problem that does arise is that we tend to take everything in terms of theory. We learn, memorize as many opinions as we can. This is the musibah of this day and age where people look at knowledge as being, oh, I know this opinion and that opinion for this madhab and this shaykh. And the more exotic the name is, the more people like, oh, that's amazing, I want this. But in reality, the practice, the amal, the quality, has dwindled. So we have to go back to that approach that, that, that the Sahaba were upon. When they learned, they practiced. So if we're able to do the same thing, I think this would keep us, inshallah, steadfast. Yeah, I would uh, agree with what you're saying, Shaykh. Don't take your deen from Shaykh Abu Bakwas, you know, Abu Nonsense, basically the father of nonsense. Uh, you'll always be led astray. Uh, and also, actually, for your own self, I think the way you enter into uh, getting involved in Islamic work is important. Your your niya for that, because some people, their main focus, their main niya, their intention becomes just reputation, right? Yes. So, like it's like a hatred or enmity of others. Whereas, we should get involved primarily, firstly and foremostly, for the love of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, for the love of the Quran and the Sunnah, for the love of seeing ourselves in uh, Jannah and a person who's on that paradigm they don't think of themselves to be secure as Allah SWT says in the Quran those who think of themselves as secure are the ones who are perished so we don't think of ourselves even being in that secure it keeps you humble right and of course you hate for the sake of Allah SWT but that's not like you don't assume the position of Allah by saying we need to hate so and so and so and so and so and so you need to hate things that are clearly despicable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you leave judgment to Allah, okay? And then also uh, to the ulama, the proper ulama who is, if they need to refute or if they need to uh, expose something, the ulama, they do that. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need to be like a junior alam and, and start doing that for them, you know? So I think that also it keeps you on an even keel when you get involved in, in the da'wah because it is easy you start off you know wide-eyed bushy-tailed wanting to get involved because it's 
it is a very satisfying feeling to be part of the da'wah, working for the sake of Allah SWT. Probably nothing more satisfying in the world. And of course, shaitan is going to try to corrupt you from that. Because if you had that feeling as the great ulama and revivers in our history have had, like that feeling, you know, this, this, this uh, khalwa, this peace, this paradise here in this, uh, in this life, like if you look at Sheikh Hassan ibn Taymiyyah and others, so many different uh, great uh, scholars, they felt like uh, a, uh, such a great feeling inside of themselves, like a Jannah being part, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know what I mean? So a person like that stays in the game the long time, the longest. A person like that affects not only people in their lifetime, but for generations. You know, because it's it's like fruits that benefit people, not bitter fruits that you just you know produce just for the sake of show. You know, you know what I mean? So I think that's important um, for us to uh, you know keep in mind as. Uh, we get involved and understand that you can be involved in it initially with some really good positive intentions and feelings, but then that can be corrupted because shaitan is with you every step of the way. I'd just like to add one thing, Sheikh, with this is, uh, you know, people tend to uh, debate and discuss and label you on account of Masail Ijtihadiyya. Yes. So where you have legitimate areas of khilaf among scholars, yes. more specific in light of, um, you know, issues that have come to, you know, to light in our time. So it was never present during Rasulullah's time, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, or, you know, in the er eras that came afterwards. So it just came about in our present time, be it in terms of technology, mm. in terms of uh, certain business transactions, um, where you have, you know, uh, maybe a, a popular opinion or a famous opinion because it's held by certain ulama, rahimahumullah ajma'in. Uh, and then you have another opinion that is held by other ulama, both are legitimate because they have you know, their weight and proofs to back them both. Now you'll have someone who, from his shaykh, has only heard the one opinion. And uh, he believes that the deen is in this one issue. If you're not doing as I do, you are dal mudil of the manhaj. So this might be, like I said, in the business, business transaction, such as the issue of insurance, you know, whether it is halal or haram. So maybe the person, uh, he just knew uh, on the scene of gaining knowledge, his journey has just started afresh. He went to his shaykh that he believes to be the best. And that shaykh told him, you know what? It is haram. That is it. So now when he goes out and speaks to others, let's say at the masjid, um, they'll tell him, no, there's another opinion. No, 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 it cannot be. It's this way or the highway. So then what happens is that that, you know, that, that rigidness on account of the jahl that that person has would lead him to discrediting you or pushing you off the manhaj because, oh, you're not conforming to what I was told. Mm -hmm. So and so and so and so. These big ulama say it's haram. Therefore, if you don't conform to what I'm, what I'm professing, what I'm saying, you are dal, you are misguided. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for other masail too in terms of, you know, uh, the newly, new issues that do come up. I mean, and I do recall the issue of Bitcoin. When that first came up, uh, many of the mashayikh and ulama forbade it, saying it's haram, because that there, there is gharar or unknown variables within the uh, Bitcoin itself. Some did not understand what Bitcoin was to begin with. And, you know, it is still a difficult concept to kind of grasp. But overall, we have the opinions. So there are some who say haram outright, some who might legalize it, deem it halal on account of, you know, certain, with certain, um, you know, conditions. Mm. But, uh, yeah, this is, this is where we're at right now, where we have people 
on account of masail ijtihadiyya, where they say, al-khilaf sa'ir, yani it's lawful to have a difference of opinion. You have in these types of matters, people drawing the line, you are with me or off the manhaj on account of this issue, subhanAllah. Mm. And it's sad, wallahi. It's all on account of ignorance. Mm. Allah al-mustan. It's like, hand over, give me all your Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Subhanallah. <laughs> Allah. Subhanallah. Here's my phone. Yeah, subhanallah. <laughs> all right. Uh, we have another question or a comment. The equally looking good brother in the front row, the other brother. For really breaking down this topic in, in, in something in, in such tangible and clear ways, I, I just wonder, subhanAllah, like, um, how is it that so many people can fall into what is seemingly makes no sense and, and is not part of how we as Muslims should conduct ourselves? Like, what did it, what what is it about the appeal and what advice i mean you guys have touched upon it but what advice do you have so the the the, the regular muslim isn't falling into these traps and isn't getting lured in by the appeal especially on social media where a lot of this is so prevalent in terms of what you've asked jazakallah another very important question but well I'll just give a short ta'liq or comment on what you've said and I'm just thinking back, you know, to, I think the statement that we've all heard, knowledge is power. I think in this instance, knowledge definitely is power. So in the sense that the more that you're aware, the more that you know, the more safe you'll be from these types of pitfalls and traps, subhanAllah. And I recall there's a hadith, authentic hadith, uh, where the Prophet sallallahu said, knowledge would be taken away from this ummah. Not by the, uh, not snatched from the chests of men, but by the death of the scholars. Until no scholar would remain, people would appoint over themselves an ignorant person and he would then give fatwa, misleading himself and those who listen to him, subhanAllah. Mm. So you have to be kind of, I think, very careful in the time that we're living in. Uh, try your best to adhere to the ilm uh, and seek for yourself a path that would save you from all that you see around you, bi ta'ala. And I think, you know, joining uh, uh, efforts like Camp Sunnah and, you know, mashaAllah, we're in you're the good core of brothers and you get to meet each other and you're, you're coming on the basis of al-ilm wal-amal. That's a beautiful thing, alhamdulillah. So it's an encouraging thing to see uh, camps like Camp Sunnah, uh, which I think is actually the only one anywhere I've seen, a, you know, a camp like Camp Sunnah, I should say, that you know, promotes the approach of al-ilm wal-amal. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to benefit all the brothers and sisters who attend the, the camp. Sheikh, uh, I think gatherings are important. I think those, the the types of gatherings, the type of time you spend with people is as as important as who you spend it with. Yeah. Because you can actually be around with people of Alam, but they could be in, a, in circumstances that just waste time. You know, like that can happen. Like you get around people who have knowledge, who get have the Quran memorized, mm -hmm. but they're actually in an unhealthy environment. Yeah. You know, Sheikh, like, mm -hmm. so I think having that consistency, good people, good food, good times. So I'm opening a new restaurant. No, uh, but <laughs> the whole atmosphere, yes. you know, that should be cohesive. Yes. You know, so you don't have like, if you don't go, you go to a restaurant and the food is really good, but the atmosphere is really bad. You know, there's a smell or, you know, people yeah. are, you know, treating you very well or, you know yeah. what I mean? The, the 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 conversation may not be as good so it, i think it has to all go hand in hand and sometimes you have yeah online some 
people who could have knowledge, mm-hmm. but then the environment maybe is not the best, you know, yes, uh, in, in that type of setting. So I think that consistency makes a big deal. And, yes. you know, being in a place, obviously, uh, surrounded by nature, yeah, uh, being able to really uh, reflect on the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and humble yourself a little of bit. Of course, yeah, definitely. It's, it's a much more healthier environment to be, be a part of, you know. Uh, and, I, and I think you need to bring yourself uh, into those environments on a regular basis as almost like water, like nourishing yourself, you know, to be in a space where you're safe, you can have, you know, brothers, sisters you trust, uh, you know, an environment that's positive, you know, things like that. I think that, that that plays a big role. I think part of the toxicity is because, in my estimation, the structure and function, the way it's actually built, social media, yeah. is a, it, it leads you towards unhealthy places. Yes, I, I agree with you. You know what I mean? Yes. Even if there's good people involved in that. Yes. I've seen good brothers. I'm like, man, why did you get into this? Already? Like you wasted so much time. You didn't have time to help me move and you have time for like, you know, for... <laughs> it's like you told me you didn't have time to help me. Man, you could have helped me move, you know? And, but you had all this time. You know, like for example, Sheikh, uh, I was thinking because, you know, I've had recently uh, some... Uh, friends, family, and even now with COVID, like if, you know, people have had some serious issues in the hospital. Yeah. And then when you go to the hospital and you visit the people who are sick, you remember the hadith of our Rasul that one of the rights that a Muslim has upon another is that you go visit them yes. when they're sick. Yes. And I said to myself, like, how many of us do that? And how many of us will like post and retweet and like and think we're doing some great, awesome things on social media. That's true. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, there are people, subhanAllah, like, for example, you know, I'm not perfect on this, but I've just done it on occasion. You'll visit elderly Muslims who are in the hospital who have no one. You know, nobody to really ask about them or if they have, like, children, they're in another city, or maybe if their children have neglected them. There's so many people who are, like, in that type of situation. Yes. There are people who... Uh, maybe uh, there's children who are orphans, uh, who are sick in the hospital. There's people who are kind of su- you know, you know, suffering. Mm-hmm. And you don't know, um, you know the effect that you can have, like in terms of your own tarbiyah, your own development, mm-hmm. and the effect you have on them. Yeah. You know, I, I remember uh, visiting one of my good friends. His father passed away. He had cancer. And I visited, and, and he showed me like the pictures of his treatment and when he went through and, um, you know, I spent some time, just some time with him. Like, I just, you know, went there to, like, I was actually traveling through the city. So I made, just made a pit stop to go visit him in the hospital. And, you know, he said to me, like, your visit has been better than any medicine that they've given me. You know, like, just, and it, it's not like me. It just, uh, it could be anybody probably who would, who would visit and give time and attention, care, show some love. And I didn't even know his father very well. Like, you know, I, I maybe met him like twice before. So, but he recognized me, I recognized him, and I visited, spent some time with him. And then I, I continued to travel because I was going back to uh, school. So I was going to school in another city. And uh, he passed away shortly thereafter, you know, subhanAllah. And if you could be like a source of comfort for somebody in their last moments, yes. would you choose that? Is that more satisfying? Is that more better and healing for the community? than spending all this time on a platform which is designed to foster conflict. Yeah, subhanAllah. 
Well, I Sheikh, there's just to add to what you've mentioned over here. I find it quite odd when you have someone who spends so much time on social media mm-hmm. and then subhanallah look at their ibadah ethic uh, it's lacking i mean in this mm-hmm. it truly lacking because uh, there's no sunnah there there's no istighfar there's nothing so if they look at the example of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam to go back to his example to see how he lived his life we'll find that throughout the entire day there's dhikr, there's dua, there's salah, there's, you know, every single thing. It revolves around ibadah. That's the key theme of the entire day. So whether it be in you saying dhikr or performing an act of worship in itself or eating food, it's all revolving around that concept of it being an ibadah. Whereas today, the whole concept of ibadah is out the window. And it's so saddening because even, I'm sure you've seen it, Dr. Sayyid, and when you, uh, you see the pictures in, in Haram, in Mecca, mm. people sometimes are sitting there to get that perfect selfie with the Kaaba behind yes. them. Or, what's worse, okay, the selfie I get, you only get a picture of the Kaaba. Yeah. Proof, I did Hajj. Yes. You can't have this <laughs> what is worse though, when a person's pretending to make dua, I said, am I in the shot? Am I in the shot? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it good? Yeah. I want it perfect, I want that image. Yeah. So now, the, the thing is, are you there for the sake of it being an ibadah or for the sake of it being a show and tell? You spend $12,000 on Hajj, 13000 How much? Maybe this next year, 16000 Allahu A'lam. That much money. Yeah. And because of the facade of the intention, yeah. there's a potential that your ibadah could go out the window, subhanAllah. subhanAllah. So, you know, a lot of the problems, going back to what was first said, yeah. it's on account of that jahl ignorance and people yeah. not realizing what is important. Mm. We're here to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you don't have a practical approach to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can easily slip into one of those social media holes. Mm. Definitely, subhanAllah. Yes. Allah understand. I just I can just imagine when you were saying that somebody like making this this beautiful, like shaking their head, crying while making dua, yeah. and you walk and you walk up to them, it's like, wow, mashallah. And all of a sudden they're like, Excuse me, you're in my shot. And you're yeah, like, what? Exactly. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Allah. I can just imagine, you know, somebody, you know, Allah. getting upset, like, oh, I was just seeing, oh, what a beautiful mashallah, hey, move, what, sorry, I didn't know you were filming, you know, Allah subhanAllah, uh, but, you know, like, as, as you said, Sheikh, like, uh, we're talking, like, you see, you know, with even COVID, uh, there, there are things, like, you could do, where, you know, every, you know, musibah, every ibtala, every test, every trial, there is an opportunity. Yes. You know, and, you know, for example, we found that COVID allowed us to get closer to our neighbors because what we would do, because you know how it was so restrictive at first yes. and no one had toilet paper and no one was able to spare a square. <laughs> you can't even spare a square, really. <laughs> so uh, there was no, uh, you know, all these supplies were dwindling down. So, you know, anytime we went to the grocery store, we would just ask our neighbors, hey, do you need anything? Like, can we get you something and sure. like uh, grab something for you? And, you know, they were usually like, they don't need anything, but I think that brought it close because when they would leave, they would say, hey, do you need anything? These we're are going, Muslim or non-Muslim neighbors? Non-Muslim neighbors, neighbors. yeah, these are non-Muslim neighbors. Yeah. You know, Muslims, of course, we know we need to, they have rights upon us uh, uh, even more so. So, uh, and then, you know, I, I would get some tons of supplies for my parents and stuff like so I'd pick some stuff up uh, as well. But like, I was thinking, okay, you know what, this is an opportunity for us to actually fun. come together. And people, I, I saw actually in my neighborhood, uh, I think like some children had made like, a, you could tell it was made by children, like a colorful poster they put on their fence. And it said, we'll get through this together. 
You know what I mean? Like it was such a positive, nice message to put out to people. Like, and I said, man, this is some good, you know, tarbiya from this family to give to their kids, like to be oriented and, and positive like that. Hey, do you need something? Because at that point, like you see some of like the height of selfishness, yeah. right? You see some of these like images yeah. uh, of, uh, of people just hoarding and, and doing all these mm -hmm. things. But those are all opportunities, right? You could be online doing That's stuff. True. You could be like, um, you know, binging on Netflix. You could be complaining. You could do this, that, or the other. But, you know, you can find opportunities always to do khair. But I think you have to be, start rewiring yourself like that. Like it doesn't have to be always for show. What if you can't live stream bringing something to your neighbor? Are you going to not do it? You know what I mean? So just, I could just imagine like a person, because people do that now. Oh, look at us. We're feeding the homeless. It's like, hey, how are you, buddy? You know? Oh, you don't have a home? You don't have a food? Okay. Guess what? You just become a hundred air. Here's a hundred dollar bit, a hundred. And it's all like, it's all for the cameras. You know, Jay? Like this is becoming very commonplace. Social work uh, with like social media. Yes. You know? It's like combined. It's leveraging oh, yeah. social work for, for social media. It's like a spread of hypocrisy. Yes. You know, they spread widespread, you know, you would never think that this would become common, but with the advent of social media and yeah. people wanting to document their lives, I think maybe in the beginning of social media, when we just got Facebook, the, the ideas weren't there yes. to kind of do this kind of thing. But then with Instagram, people, uh, you know, documenting every moment, like, yeah. this is what I'm eating. I'm going here, I'm driving this, I'm going there, my trip, my, it could be all a bunch of lies, yes. entirely. Yes. So what happens then we inadvertently uh, take part, if someone is doing this, and I know many Muslim brothers and sisters that do this, if they're doing this inadvertently, they take part in that nifaq culture. Rasulullah yes. warned us that you know there are traits that if they're found individually within a Muslim, they would carry a trait of nifaq until they put it aside. Mm -hmm. But if all of them are found within that person, then they would become a munafiq khalas, yani a pure, or a munafiq through and through. It's Allah al-Afiyah, through a hypocrite, nifaq. You know, since we're, uh, we're, we're talking about this, what is your opinion about like putting um, a lot of personal pictures of your family in the sense of like, you know, hasid, protecting yourself from even hasid? Oh, yes. Because sometimes people like, they'll put up, it's like, I'm so in love with my wife, look at us. We're so in love with each other. And then it's like cheek to cheek, you know what I mean? Let's make a heart together, you know, like they, <laughs> all the different, you know, pictures just yeah. to show the world, oh, we're so in love. And then, uh, you know, my wife tells me like sisters will post, my husband is the best husband. And because, you know, he cooks all the meals. And then it causes fight in other people's family. Like, you know, this sister, she says her husband cooks all the meals. <laughs> like, yeah, because he doesn't have a job, man. And then it causes like fights in like these households. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, look, look at how cute my kids are. And then, you know, what, what about hasid and all of these things? I, I think sometimes people don't well, think about, you know? I, I would kind of, this is important. I think of the issue of hasid, yes, because envy, as Rasulullah yeah. warned us, al-aynu haqq. And we have in the hadith, yani the, the envious eye is a reality. It, it will happen. It takes place. Mm -hmm. We also have in the hadith of the Prophet said, the majority of my ummah would die on account of the evil eye, or the envious eye. So it's a reality that we have to be aware of. And, uh, you know, putting pictures out there that may provoke people's jealousies. Yeah, this could lead to that, definitely. Mm -hmm. And you have to be careful, watchful, not to do that kind of thing. You know, it's like keeping unwanted attention 
you know, that you don't want away from yourself. Mm -hmm. In the past, you'll be very careful not to put these things public. But then now, you know, people tend to do this more and more. I do understand if it's within circles, you know, specific circles, because now with the with the privacy policies, you can kind of cater to a small group, a small, you know, group of friends. That might be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But if your settings are public, yeah. where anyone and everyone can come and see what you had, I, this is, I would absolutely say it's inappropriate that you should not be doing that. Yeah. But even, you know, in general, whatever you do, do it with hikmah and wisdom. Don't, you know, be taken as a fool and do not put yourself at risk because this is in general, no matter how you look at it, mm -hmm. you're putting yourself at risk. And uh, Rasulullah told us, the believer, he should be intelligent, wise, mm -hmm. and not uh, one who's gullible or, you know, would be harmed by something that is very evident. Yani, subhanAllah. Allah mm -hmm. We have another question from the studio audience. Uh, this is really amazing. My only question is, especially to Sheikh Murad, is, does it, you as a scholar, as a sheikh, all this toxic energy around, and especially basically spending a lot of your time putting out fire in the community, does that take away a lot of the time from you preparing classes and ilm for people? Because I've seen, subhanAllah, that there is so much one-time lecture, how to boost the iman, how to do this online, you'll find them so plenty. But where would you find the Sheikh go through a book cover to cover for a structured uh, form of uh, ilm that you can follow. Start from the, the Arabic, like from fiqh, slowly like that going on, like, or tafsir of the whole Quran. You find that very rarely in the world, it belongs in your community, online on YouTube. Now then coming back to your community, you're lucky even if you have Arimhan Tahazi. Yeah. So what, what's causing that culture that we are moving away from this, uh, the seeking of knowledge? My Sheikh, first off, just a little comment, you know, the term scholar, I know it's used a bit loosely in the West, the Western context. Uh, it's preferable just to say students of knowledge for all of us and for yourself because when you begin to label someone in a certain way, this is a label here, he's a scholar, when I'm not a scholar. But the thing is this, that, you know, it, it hits the heart. So it may basically make you somewhat proud or put the seed of that uh, kibar in your heart. So to avoid that, just scrap it. You know, it's a way to kind of crush and make yourself humble, bring you down to earth. A student of knowledge, you know, we're all striving in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We all, we all have something to learn from each other. No one person has the entire ilm, but we share, we learn from each other, alhamdulillah. So to what you've asked, why? And it is, like you said, you're never going to find uh, a halaqa that's given on one book from cover to cover. I've tried it a few times. And once I did this in the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So I told the, the community, we're going to do the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And uh, this started, I think, in Rabia al-Awwal. So there's a lot of hype for, you know, the seerah at that time. So I said, it's not just a one story. We're going to go all the way till we finish, okay? He said, okay, khair, inshallah. So I recall at times, some brothers said, still on the seerah? Mm. Still on the seerah? Any other topic? Why only on this topic? Because yeah. we're going now through, you know, the, the interesting part is the battles. When you start going in the middle of the, between the battles where you get into the, you know, this, the, the, the life and how it is and what took place. Mm. Some people are saying, okay, you know, they walk up and leave. They actually leave, subhanAllah. Yeah. I remember I did the Aqiyat Tahawiyah. I said, okay, we're going to finish this book from cover to cover. The first few halaqas, packed. Then afterwards, the, it just the attention span or... 
And these aren't long halaqas, by the way. 20 minutes to half an hour maximum of the Q&A. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was maybe four or five days a week. So people can come, join. But then, likewise, it dwindled down till khalas. No one attended. I started a course cover to cover on the Book of Inheritance. And the same thing, which was, we started with 30 students. We ended up with only exactly two students. So the reason why you have this phenomena is that people today, they're enamored by the celebrity, uh, you can say, uh, sheikh culture, whereby the sheikh must be entertaining. The halaqa is no longer a halaqa in the sense that it has academic value. No. If it does, it's boring. We don't want this. Not everyone. I mean, there are people that look for this type of approach, but the vast majority are there for the, the gratification, the quick gratification, right there and then. So they're there to be entertained, not to learn. They may have come to a halaqa where they heard the sheikh talking about something that made them smile or laugh. I'm like, oh, you know, I like this. I want to hear more. So when you switch the gears and go to a different topic, I don't like this topic. And you find people leaving. They want to be entertained. And this is sad. So now we've reduced the ilm, which should be valued, revered, that you should look to, and because this is your salvation is for that ilm that you're learning. It's now being pushed aside for the entertainment content and value, Allah understands. So you have to be very careful. I think this is truly the thing that has led to what we see, the phenomenon that we see today across different masajid, where people don't have the energy or even the, the patience to sit in a halaqa is because of this, Allah understands. Would you say that partly to blame, even before social media and the celebrity sheikh is maybe perhaps how we started structuring programs? Because I saw there was a time where there was a trend of making conferences, there has to be entertainment in it. Yes. And everything has to be associated with entertainment or some type of way of, you know, getting people like, you know, up and uh, into things and, oh, yeah. um, you know, whether it's nasheed concerts or comedy festivals yeah. or, you know, plays, like different things yeah. like that. Like, I understand that to a degree that has a function yeah. and, you know, that's, you know, perhaps needed, but then that's sort of taking over and I th maybe putting an unnecessary influence on actual proper learning methodology yeah. Or because that in of itself needs emphasis and importance and facilitation. Yes. Like, so you want, like, not every kid, like, when you tell kids to go to school, to be able to be patient and learn and go through the process and get tested assignments. That's a push. There's a force that you apply for them to get into the system and to adopt it because it's not necessarily intuitive for somebody to do that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, perhaps we stopped emphasizing that and we started leaning too heavy as this replace yeah. proper learning methodology. You know what I mean? To make it like just about entertaining because we've seen that happen with other yeah. religions, right? Yes. Like we've seen it become like now it's got to be like singing and dancing for you to yes. worship, uh, you know, in your yeah. religion. And so it's almost like you have to be entertained to worship. So it's almost become... Yes. Synonymous. Yes, I agree with you, Sheikh, on that, definitely. And uh, it is sad, and that could possibly be the reason. I recall when attending conferences in the 80s. Yes. Nothing like the conferences today. Mm. Today, you know, you have maybe, maybe the key speaker, then two, three other speeches, then you have all these little gaps that are filled with entertainment uh, uh, content, be it, you know, stand-up comedy, be it maybe uh, something that is shown, be it a contest, be it to engage the crowd. Yeah. When I was in the 80s, my father took me to a few conferences and 
I recall the conferences, in my perspective, to be tiring and boring. Mm. But the people that were there, it was jam-packed in the thousands. Mm. The Halaqatim program, one after the other, one after the other. The only break that you get is a little recess to drink something, and then afterwards for your dinner or lunch, mm. and you're back to it again. Mm. So the conference was more or less a, a seminar slash workshop where you gain actual ilm and you go yeah. through books. Yeah. Nowadays, it's just like, you know, the halaqa or program that's given maybe in, I'm not talking about everything, but in yeah. some that I've seen. Yeah. It might be one point or two points that the speaker is giving or delivering a message on, mm-hmm. and that is it. Uh, those two points, they'll be supported by comedy, entertainment, mm-hmm. um, things that will really, you know, attract attention. Yeah. And afterwards, that's about it. Then you, if you sit down and sift through the entire lecture, it revolved about one, two, that's it. There's nothing more than that. So there is a big difference between the conferences I saw back in the 80s mm. and conferences today. Yeah. It's a big, big paradigm shift, subhanAllah. You know, like, uh, you know, I can um, attest to some of that as well. I remember, like, like during Ramadan Taraweeh, when I was growing up, like the masjid that we would have to travel to was about, you know, 40-minute drive, you know, 40, yes. 45 minutes sometimes to drive to there. And so we would go there and, uh, you know, especially when it was in the winter months, then it would be a little bit longer. So you would be like there for like three hours plus and then driving back. So almost like five hours every night. And we're going to school too the next day and all these things, right? And um, I remember just recently people saying, oh, this, this took too long. Even though I understand the night is short, but it was like 40 minutes. Like the Aisha and Tarawa and everything together was like 40 minutes. And the guy was complaining. So without being being like nostalgic and outdated and being like oh back in my day we used to like you know do all these things like how do we just revive that culture it's not necessarily about hardship for the sake of hardship but it's kind of like sometimes to get like um the sweetest fruit it takes time and patience and a lot of labor you know sheikh i i think to come back to this is going to i mean for the community at large I don't want to be pessimistic here, but it may seem to me practically impossible because we've become so enamored with quick gratification. We're living in the age of quick gratification. So social media, all of these things have basically put this within us. So people, the younger generation... dopamine junkies. Yes, so you've been programmed in a certain way. You can't suddenly switch and go back. Unless you have people who truly find the ladda and the beauty in, uh, you know, the salah, as they should, definitely, and they wish to stand and they perform the prayer... It just came to my mind right now. There was an imam. There's there's an imam in in Saudi in Mecca. I love his voice. His name is Muhammad Adam Shah Al Birmawi from Burma. So he had a, he has a masjid that he leads a salah in in Mecca. Uh, it's called Masjid Shahid Al Mihrab. So it's a bit further from the Haram in Mecca. But then <clears throat> his voice, yeah, it's ajib. I recall we prayed taraweeh behind him, myself and a few other brothers. He led the salah. And I lost myself. We all lost ourselves. The beauty of that qira'ah, his khushu' in salah, the way that we just, by the time we finished, it's roughly two and a half hours that had gone, and I only felt it was like 15 minutes that had gone. So I thought to myself, why is he finishing so quickly? He should be, continue, he should be doing more. But then we look at the time at the watch, like, oh, subhanAllah, that much time has gone, Allah Akbar. You didn't realize the time because you, you were so, you know, in, engrossed in the, that ibadah, you loved it so much that, you were unaware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. So you were, you know, shifted, taken away from your environment to the beauty of the Qur'an, subhanAllah. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know if we can do that today at large. Mm. It's very difficult, subhanAllah. But you know, we can try at least. Mm. People complain, you know, like it's not just for Taraweeh, for Jum'ah as well. Mm, if you're doing yes. too long, the guys are this. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've gotten that hand signal too. Yeah. You know, get out. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the khutbah zone, 20 minutes. And you know, Sheikh, what, you know what's crazy is that some people actually walk out of Jamar. Oh, I've seen that. You know what I mean? I've seen that multiple times. Allah you know, and, and that's sad situation. Like, you're going to walk out <coughs> on, on <laughs> Jum'ah. Like, you're going to walk out in the middle of, see, your boss is taking too long with the other meeting. What's going to happen? You walk out, you know what? You're taking too much of my time. You know, I have something else scheduled. You mm -hmm. walk out, what's going to happen to you? You never, ever, uh, you know, have the guts to do something like that, you know? And yet, um, yeah, yes, I've seen that um, hand signal. Monster. And yeah. it's just, uh, it, and not even for like going off. Like, I can, I can understand, like, there's been some khatibs I've seen. Oh, they, they go yeah. like, yeah. you know, maybe the, the time is like half an hour, they're going in like an hour and a half. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? That's okay. They're going that, a little That's bit. an exception, but yeah. talking about more the general norm. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. you're going five, ten minutes. Like, there's some people who just start itching and like getting like very upset and things like that. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's, uh, it's a problem in our community. And I think it'll, it'll have to be addressed as, I think, as we can evolve into changing the trajectory. True. You know what I mean? It can't just be, I think, one or these, a lot of these different habits and occurrences within our communities or things that are becoming now endemic within us. The one or two issues, I think, can be solved on its own. It has to be, part, I think, a part of an yeah. overarching <clears throat> change in direction, you know, of the, of the community at large, right? It could be as well, like, you know, initiatives whereby we, the youth are nurtured and raised mm. to appreciate these things, to be pulled away from the, yeah. the whole culture of, you know, the instant gratification, to understand and love the Qur'an. I think this is, you know, the ilm or amal in that approach. If we're able to instill this within the youth, mm. even a few of them who can then go as ambassadors mm. to everyone around them and kind of instill that within them, you'll have mm. that return to, you know, that uh, mm. approach of enjoying the Qur'an, the Salah, as one should, yani, subhanAllah. Mm. Uh, one, of the, one of the brothers mentioned to me that somebody left a bad review for a masjid because uh, maybe the khutbah took too long. Yeah, that, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I would you know? not be surprised. Yes, subhanAllah. It's like, you know, the, the pizza that they sold after the Jummah, a little bit salty, three out of five. You know, the uh, uh, parking attendant, uh, you know, two out of five, not too good. You know, uh, I didn't get a very good parking spot. You know, like, Allah. they like re review Allah. it as if they're going to like some amusement park, you know, like. Allah. Khutbah took too long, you know, made me feel too guilty, you know, afterwards. <laughs> Allahu Akbar, subhanAllah. So, like, uh, you know, Shaykh, like, um, it's, um, but, like, yeah, there is, I think, some deeper issues at play here, because I'm seeing it more and more common, even amongst the youth, like, um, not attending even the Jummah or the Salah, like, they'll be in the Masjid. Yes. Like, they're literally, their parents have come to the Masjid. Yeah. And their kids aren't in the khutbah, their kids, and I'm not talking about like five, six year olds, I'm talking about like, you know, 12, 13, oh, yeah. 15 you know, nice. year olds. And they're not attending the uh, khutbah, uh, they're not attending uh, the salah, mm -hmm. tarawih, they're just going outside playing soccer while, you know, the tarawih is happening. I understand maybe in a situation where like, 
you're struggling with your child and you want them at least to come to the masjid. Yes. But at least there needs to be a plan. Just by coming to a place doesn't mean you're True. going to change or no. there's something magical, dust, masjid dust, that Almost. you're going to breathe in and then you're just going to be changed. You know what I mean? My Sheikh, I think this is something we should address in yeah. terms of how we can attract the youth to the masjid yes. or at least to come to the, to the masjid to kind of enjoy the atmosphere. Yes. I know we've tried many times to bring youth, you know, in different provinces, different cities. Yes. It's always the same thing. They're not there. They don't want to come. They don't want yes. to attend. Yes. There could be different reasons, but I mean, what would you suggest in terms of attracting them, bring them to, to love the environment of the masjid? You know, I think the biggest uh, hindrance, Sheikh, is that um, there's a lack of consistency in the way we um, structure things for our families. So, for example, why don't they want to come to the masjid? Because it's very inconsistent with their life at home. It's very inconsistent with their life at school. Mm -hmm. It's very inconsistent with their time with their friends. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if this is the anomaly, of course, you know, you don't want to like, go, yeah. you know, go there because here you're doing one thing, you're going in one direction and, and now you're asked, yeah. okay, go, you know, go to the, uh, go other direction. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like a person not coordinating their clothing. You know, yeah. you got to coordinate, you got to coordinate. All right. So there's, if there's no coordination there, so the parents thinking that I'm going to just put there and then it's a, everything's opposite. So I think if from a family perspective, you have a family, you have to understand, Hey, what do we want to do as a family? Mm -hmm. So like you can't, I don't think like, for example, your vacations, if you, if, if their vacations are un-Islamic, you know, like for example, some people they'll go to like beaches and they're just surrounded by people in bikinis. Okay. So I know this, I know I, I've seen people who do that and then they go then maybe one year to Hajj and then they'll still go back to Hawaii to, for their bikini vacations. Right. How like it's inconsistent. The, the, the Hajj and Umrah is not going to do anything for you. The, the massage, how will they do something? Cause there'll be such a difference. Like yeah. it'll just seem like it's, um, cultural. Yes. You know what I mean? It, it'll, 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 the, our real life is what we spend at home, at work, our free time. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. This is just something from our cultural identity that we just, yes. you know, we pay the toll because mm -hmm. we have a history with it. Yes. You, you know what I mean? Yes. yes. So to, I think one of the fundamental changes needs to be a paradigm shift mm -hmm. that if you want people to appreciate the masjid and you want a proper culture in the masjid, that culture needs to be in the home. Oh, yeah. That needs to be with what you have for entertainment. That needs to be with like how you educate your children. Mm -hmm. So that paradigm needs to be, I think, addressed first. Because then you'll always be like, it's like you're going, you're in a ship and I'm going west. You know what I mean? I'm, 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 I'm headed west and like every 20 minutes I turn east, but then I'm going to go back west for like, you know, mm -hmm. 90, like 90% of the time, 99% yeah. of the time I'm headed west. So then you wonder, it's like, why don't they want to go, you know what I mean? Why don't they want to go in this other direction, you know? So there's a lack of this consistency, I think, that is, I think, the biggest factor. That, I think, is the biggest factor in there. Because, like, for example, myself, what we were taught, it's like the akhlaq and adab and etiquette that we would do in the masjid. We're doing that at home. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that with, you know, uh, you know, the people that we socialize with. So, and then I would have that even with my teachers to an extent, actually, 
it, it, you know, when, when you're going through the public school system and whatnot, yes. you're taught to like give respect and not question the teacher. But sometimes your teachers aren't good. You need to like, yeah. you know, they, they, they don't treat you fairly. Mm-hmm. And so they took advantage of that. They mm-hmm. took advantage of this like good, well-mannered brown kid. You won't say anything when I say when it, whatever I do. Right. But the, the point being that it was it was consistent in every part of our life. Like, you know, our parents would say, you got to respect the teacher, not just the shit. Yes. You have to respect people. You have to respect yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that consistency is the biggest issue right now we have. I think, Sheikh, you know, from what you mentioned in the previous uh, session, mm-hmm. that many parents who bring their kids to the masjid mm-hmm. uh, do so as a last-ditch effort, any crisis yes. quadrant uh, thinking. Yeah, crisis management. Yeah, yeah, so it's already a fire. They say, yeah. okay, let's, let's put it out in the masjid. Yeah. So they bring the kid to the masjid, and like you said, the home is not, it's all yeah. off. He's, he's experiencing something maybe in the home, yeah. unlike with his friends outside, unlike yeah. at school. Unlike at work, yeah. now they're thinking, you know, the masjid has the magical solution that will yeah. fix everything, yeah. but it doesn't. It's like, you know, you come and my, you know, my kid's on fire. It's like, okay, douse him, uh, you know, put out the fire. Like, where are you guys going? Oh, we're going back to serving gasoline. <laughs> you yes, know what I mean? Exactly. What? Yeah, yes. <laughs> when are yes. you going to come back to me? I'm going to keep putting the fire out? You Allah know what I mean? Allah. But yeah, true. Subhanallah, Allah al-Mustan. It's sad, but that's yeah. the reality of many today. Wallah al-Mustan. We ask Allah to... You know, make it easy for the ummah, um, Allah Musta'an. You know, you know, Sheikh, like it, it is getting a little bit hot in here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about fire, <laughs> and uh, I think we need to cool down. So let's trans uh, transport this podcast to a little bit more of a cooler environment, because we will always live by the haq, die by the haq, and just when you think life is stuck, tune in to life hot. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.